Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, and then verse 14. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims God's handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, and a voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his canopy at his wedding. And like a strong man, it runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the earth, and its circuit to the end of them. Nothing is hid from its heat. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Amen. I remember hearing a speaker a few years ago talk about this imaginary house. He called it the house of God, and he took us on a tour of the different rooms. Um, there was, I think, one of my favorite rooms there was the, the living room. He said there would be a chair made for you there, and you'd walk in and see a lot of portraits, and there would be a portrait of you. The best thing about this living room is a room of grace. It had no doors. It was always open, always available. If I remember, there was a study, there was a study, no telephones, um, no, no computers there. It was lined with books. It was a room for study, it was a room for questions. Uh, no question too small, no riddle too simple. Um, this is where you could probe who God is and who are we as the family of God. And there were other rooms, kitchen, on and on. And I remember, he said there was an observatory. It was the highest room, the top level of the house, and I could picture that. You, you didn't need a telescope because the glass ceiling magnified the sky until you felt, it, felt you was falling at your feet and elevated instantly through the atmosphere. You found yourself immersed in the heavens and stars cascaded upon you until you were left dizzy by their numbers. Patrick just read from one of the Psalms. The psalmist, sometimes they'll take you into the study. Man, there are going to be moments they're going to take you into the living room. But the psalmist loved to take us into the observatory. See. Psalm 8, when I consider the heavens, um, heavens, did you notice that it was plural back then? Because there not just one, there were many heavens. How many? Three, seven, some said 365. When I consider the moon and the stars, the psalmist even considers this star we called sun. Um, you ever thought much about it? Sure you have. We're blessed by the sun every day. Do you know one square yard of the sun um, amidst 300,000 horsepower of energy every moment? This is equivalent of 458-cylinder automobile engines. One square yard. As powerful as the sun is, though, it is just a, it's a minor star in the 150 billion orbs in our Milky Way galaxy. Just go out at night, put a, just, or just put a dime in between your fingers and extend it your arm's length, and it's going to eclipse some of your view, just a dime. That one dime would eclipse 15 million stars, just 
One time. Okay. But our, the psalmists aren't just trying to, uh, you know, get us to the place that we see the immensity of the nature and the universe. They're really trying to push us all the way back to what is behind it, what sustains it, um, the inconceivable, uncontainable God. Psalm 104, um, oh God, you were great. You, you're decked out in glory. You, you wear the lights like a robe. Uh, you stretch the uh, stars out like a tent. And then you heard from Psalm 19. I love the language in this. God's glory is on tour in the sky. God's craft is on exhibit across the horizon. Um, Madam Day holds class every morning. Professor Knight gives lectures every evening. They don't have a word. They have no voice. They have no speech. Yet their message is heard over the entire universe. Do you hear what the psalmist is saying? The universe, God's calling card. The sky, God's resume. Do you want to know something about God, God's nature, and God's power? Then, then, then look up and stare at the starlight that emanated from a million years ago. I, I know an old trail guide. That, um, he just loves to take uh, young people, particularly out to the wild and to the wilderness. And one of the favorite things is nighttime in the wilderness. You see around Asheville, uh, we can see some stars, but... Look, our city lights, they compete with the night lights. But you get out there, cloudless night, top of a mountain, away from all the city lights. Wow, what a show. And so this is what the trail guide loves to do, is get young people on their back and, and gets them looking up. It'll say something like this. I, I want you to go out, get on your back and look up and tell me how far can you think. And they go, what are you talking about? And, no, I, I want to know. He wants you to look up the stars and you tell me how far you can think. And uh, there's the young one. All right, all right. I'm screwing on my imagination. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Well, how far? Well, I see something up there. I believe you might call that thing the, the Big Dipper. Yeah, I guess I. All right, that's, that's how far you can think. Yeah, that's about how far I can think. And then the guy says, Put your stake right there. Put your stake right there. And then he goes, go back and look up again. Well, what do you see? I see a lot more sky. Move your stake. And they spend the rest of the night moving the stake farther and farther. That's what the psalmist is doing. Moving our stake. We see the wonders of the stellar universe move your stake. And then you'll know behind all this is the uncontainable God. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. No one can build a house for God. Not even the heavens can, can hold God. You spend any time there lately? I mean, when's the last time you went to the observatory? That's where we're going today. If we don't ever go there, we're going to live and we're going to think small, you see. We're going, to, we're going to think nothing but the reality right in front of our eyes. We're going to be like the mudraker in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. You remember the mudraker? Interesting character. That was his job. He's a mudraker. Never looked up, saw any clouds, sky, stars. Just looked down at his work. The mud, the rake. That was it. Psalmists are kind of stretching us, 
stretching our horizons. Otherwise, all we're going to deal with, what are we going to wear and what are we going to eat? Same little set of questions and same little group of people. You know how it goes. If I can keep the pond small, then I'm going to be a big frog in a small pond. If I can just kind of think I'm living in a small world, then I can increase in size. In my opinion, I'm huge. I'm all important. That's a delusion, of course, but that can make us very prejudiced, limited in our relationships. Think small, and I go, all right, I'm, I'm an American. I'm a Southerner. I'm an Ashevillian. Think large. Solar system. Oh, we're riders of a planet. I'm an earthling, <laughs> riding with my fellow earthlings. You see how it, what happens when we go larger? Fred Craddock said, when I consider the moon and the stars, I know something important. I know that it's going to be dark somewhere all the time, any moment at any place. It can any time it can be happening. It's going to be some darkness out there. And there are going to be children looking up and looking at the moon and looking at the stars. And Craddock said, you need to teach your children about that. You need to tell them to look up. To look at the moon and the stars and know it won't be long, it's going to be dark some other place in Japan, Korea, Uganda, Ethiopia, and there are going to be children looking at the same thing, wishing the same thing. You, you make it all small, you try to live in a small pond, and it's going to, you're going to be living very small in terms of relationships with this world and relationships with God. God's going to be in a little box. Oh, I know we have this human inclination. I understand it. To build beautiful sanctuaries like this. It's, it's, to, it's to honor, it's to glorify God. To build shrines and walls and places, yes. But we know God is more. J.B. Phillips um, wrote that great little masterpiece, um, Your God is Too Small, and he kind of poked a little bit of fun at how we turn God into a policeman, a bellhop, a genie. But we know God is more than that. And our psalmist is wanting us to experience the more, to just encounter the magnificence of God. Let me ask you this question. How do you approach God? Do, do you approach God with kind of a scripted mindset? Kind of like you're going to Dollywood for the 12th time. You know exactly what's going to be there and what to expect. Or, or do you approach God like a newfound adventure, newfound trail, and you're walking every inch alive, alert and awake, um, no scripting, nothing predictable. I think sometimes we try to turn Jesus into a pocket Jesus, or we approach God as um, a cosmic superstore. As uh, one author said, if we never get beyond the length of just asking God for things, if we never get beyond that, then we never get to that place and moment of self-abandonment. Ooh, that sounds, some people say, that sounds kind of negative. No, self-abandonment is not self-denigration. It's not self-negation. It's appropriate self-awareness. It's realizing that we're really not at the center of the universe. We know better, but sometimes we put ourselves there. It's, it's just experiencing our creatureliness, that there is 
otherness, beyondness. It is to have a moment of just letting go all of our attempts to leverage ourselves before God and experiencing the God that we cannot control or that we cannot hold. But God is a mysterious being by which we're held. Well, what, what good? You know, we're going large here today. All right? We're going up in the observatory. Wouldn't it be better to go back down in the kitchen and get some good soul food? I mean, wouldn't it be better to spend our time in the study to learn more about what's, what good is any of this going to do us? Oh, I think it'll do us a lot of good. When I consider the moon and the stars um, and the grandeur and the full scope of God, that's strangely humbling but also comforting. To know that um, what I cannot control doesn't control God. Okay. To know that what overwhelms me doesn't overwhelm God. When I'm facing problems I can't wrap my mind around, when I'm struggling with solutions that are long and coming that my mortal life will not encompass, to know that there is something, someone incredibly large, full of ingenuity and creativity far beyond my own, that's humbling, but that's reassuring. I, I think it's also, I, I find it... Um, a kind of a strange lure when I began to think about the very largeness and the, the full mystery of God that, that tugs at my, my wondering about what is this God about? What does this God have in mind for you and me? I mean, don't you feel like when you consider the moon and the stars, don't, don't you get a pretty strong hint that there just might be um, a way of life that is vastly larger and deeper than, than our little slice and how we go at life. I mean, here we are, folks. I mean, our thoughts are not God's thoughts. They're not even in the same neighborhood. Let's be honest. I mean, we're interested in preserving the body, and God wants to nourish the soul. We want to avoid pain to find peace, and God uses pain to offer peace. Uh, we love that which rusts, and God loves that which endures. Um, we're intrigued by our successes and God is intrigued by our confessions. We want to show our children the Nike swoosh and a million dollar smile and say, be like Mike. And God shows us a humble carpenter with the torn side and says, be like Christ. Okay. Our thoughts are not God's thoughts. I mean, but when I, see, when I go large, that's, that's when I find the lure God's higher ways, newer ways. But here's the real reason to go into the observatory. It's going to push you. It's going to push you behind. Where in the world did this all start? Not just who was there at the beginning, but why? What, what motivates this mysterious God? Now, our Hebrew writer of the psalm, he knew the narrative of creation, how the unborn, the not yet, and the uncreated, all that which was nothing became somehow something, and even to the point 
made an image, you and me, emerged into being. Now, now go home this afternoon, reread Genesis 1, and read it through this kind of periscope. Just ask yourself, is there any hint in this narrative of creation that God had any ulterior motives? You know what I mean by that, that God was trying to get something for God's help. No, I don't, I don't find that at all. I, I find God simply out of the God joy of God's own aliveness saying this thing called life is just too good to keep to myself. Willingly, joyfully, generously, God widens the circle of joy until there's quasars and black holes and, and, and billions of stars and suns and then all that splendor and all that extravagant finds all its way right to our feet on this planet. The same kind of extravagance. Anybody have a good breakfast? Come on, I mean, somebody did. <laughs> there's somebody out there this morning, I know it, I can just feel it. You had blueberry pancakes. Somebody had a taste of some cantaloupe. You had a peach. Look, it could have been all bread and water, and God said, good enough. Let it be. No, no. God get carried away, and you already today have had a moment of eating food of all kind of variety of form, color, flavor. I mean, why did God have to give us the bird that sings and the mountain that has a snowy crest? I mean, would we have ever known the difference if sunsets had just been gray rather than the Kodachrome of orange and yellows and violets, huh? You, you, why did God do any of this? It was all about unbridled generosity, right? Just God wanting to bless the creation and those made in the image. It's all about gift giving. You know something about gift giving. Of course you do. You know what it's like to spend uh, some hours there searching about the stores and the aisles for just the right gift for the right person. I'm not talking about the obligatory gift. I I'm not talking about that last-minute purchase at Walmart on the way to the birthday party. I'm talking about a gift of intense intentionality, of willful, joyful, trying to find the right gift. Why? Why? Because you can't help but do it. You, you love. You, you want that other person's heart to soar. So next time you go up into the observatory and you, you consider the moon and the stars and all that God hath ordained and you think of how all that glory and spl splendor is spinning its way right into the splendor of our daily life on this planet, just think, God giving, doing all this for the creation, for his creatures, for you, for me. Well, we've been, we've been going large here today. I think it can take us to a good place. It takes me to this story um, that comes from the life of Eugene Peterson. You know, Eugene Peterson, the author of uh, that wonderful, what some call paraphrase, some call translation, called The Message. When he grew up on the farm, um, up in the Dakotas, he, it was a large, beautiful farm. And uh, as a little boy, he wasn't called Eugene, he was called Pete Peterson. 
And little Pete, he, he liked to go out to the edge of his father's property, and there was a barbed wire fence there, and looked out across the vast acreage of Mr. Leonard Storm, a Norwegian farmer, had the prettiest, most uh, just beautifully kept uh, farm in the whole county. Vast acreage of golden grain and corn. And he loved to go and look at that, uh, that farm, but most of all, he loved to see this big, beautiful John Deere tractor that Mr. Storm would drive. And his dream was someday to be able to go and sit on that tractor and ride on it. So there he was. He was standing at the barbed wire fence. There was Mr. Storm moving about in his John Deere tractor. And all of a sudden, about 100 yards away, um, Leonard Storm, he stopped his tractor and he stood up. He's a big Norwegian man in these bib overalls. And he, he starts waving his big windmill arms and he looked he looked kind of angry, he looked kind of ominous, and, and Pete Peterson thought, I guess he was saying, you've come too close, boy, you're, you're too near uh, my work and my dad. You know, it's like he was saying, be gone. And so, oh, Pete Peterson just skittered home. Well, the next Sunday morning, well, he went to the same church, and he runs into Mr. Storm. Mr. Storm comes over and says, little Pete, Pete couldn't stand it when he called him Little Pete. But, you know, Pete was just five, six years old. Little Pete, why, why did not you come when I called for you to come to me the other day? Um, Mr. Storm, I, I, I heard you yelling something, but there was a lot of wind and the tractor was making some noise. And I, I saw you waving your arms and I was, thought you told me to skedaddle, to be gone. Oh, Little Pete, then you want someone to come? Show me what you do. Pete Peterson held up his forefinger. He just curled his forefinger. Mr. Storm said, Oh, Pete, that is piddling. <laughs> on the farm, on the farm, we do things big like this. Pete said, I was already disappointed because I'd missed my drive and ride on that John Deere tractor. And now he was calling me and my world little, calling it piddling. Story has a happy ending. A few days later, Pete Peterson goes back to the same barbed wire fence. He's looking out there. Here's Mr. Storm moving about that field on that beautiful John Deere tractor. And Leonard Storm, a big Norwegian farmer in his bib overalls, he stood up and he starts doing this. <laughs> and Pete Peterson ran that hundred yards across that field. Mr. Storm, with one strong right arm, swept him up into that tractor and put him on his lap. And Pete Peterson said, I held on to that steering wheel as we rode that tractor all the way to the end of the farm. And he said, I didn't feel piddling. I did feel blessedly small. And as we rode across that beautiful acreage on that tractor, I felt my smallness absorbed into that man's largeness. So here comes the psalmist, waving those great big windmill arms. He doesn't want us to feel piddling. Just blessedly small, okay? 
so we can feel our smallness absorbed into the high and purposes and ways of God. Most of all, we can feel our smallness absorbed into God's magnificent love. Let us pray. Oh God, you know us, you made us, and you know us how we can try to keep the pond small. And when we keep it all small, it's, um, we end up being very small, and our relationships end up being quite piddling. But most of all, we make you into something so much less than, than you are. May we go into that great observatory where we just lose ourselves in wonder and praise and we consider the moon and stars and all that you have made. And we know that all that you are and all that you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.